Hey everyone, this is Michael. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Today we continue the series, Infinite Hope, The Pursuit of Happiness, where we explore the kingdom of God and find hope in the midst of chaos through the eyes of Jesus and the Beatitudes. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Today's episode is a message by Jonathan Coker from the series, Infinite Hope, The Pursuit of Happiness. Good evening. Just get myself set up here. There's always those first jitters when you walk up to the pulpit. Gotta let those settle for a second. The Sermon on the Mount. It is an interesting sermon a magnum opus that Jesus delivers. It takes several chapters for it to all play out. And if you were to walk into my classroom, you would see on the wall the entire sermon plastered up there with notes scribbled all over it and different things that I've been adding over the weeks trying to understand this Sermon on the Mount. If you could talk with one of my English One students about it right now, they would probably tell you, please let us know when Infinite Hope is going to finish. We are tired of hearing about this every morning. What is the kingdom of God? I think I'm getting closer to answering the question, but I don't think I'm ever going to finish So far as I can tell right now, the kingdom of God is an environment, right? It's a space that we are able to create, and we're doing it right here this evening. It's a place where you are able to come and meet with God. We have these moments from time to time. You have memory of perhaps a birthday or perhaps a trip. I know I've had lots of moments at CTA on trips going down the Rio Grande with different classes, different sophomore biology classes. The kingdom of God is at hand, and that means that it's here now. It invades this space. No need to wait. So let's try to understand this. Let's dig down deep because This whole sermon starts off with the Beatitudes, and as far as I can tell, I don't understand any of it, and I'm supposed to act like I do. I'm standing in front of you. I should know, but uh, I'm going to be honest with you. It's complicated, and it's also very simple. So frustrating. The Bible does that from time to time, doesn't it? So I'm looking at these Beatitudes, and I'm asking myself a few questions. And why... Why are these people, these poor in spirit people, those that are mourning and those that are meek and hungry and so on, why are these the people, the ones to inherit anything? It defies all logic. How can someone in such a humble position expect anything great to happen to them? This is not the way that the world works for us. In fact, we spend most of our lives trying to cover up the parts of us that are weak and broken. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Those are the parts that you need because they tell you to come and seek me out. We all find ourselves in at least one of these positions or beatitudes. 
the Sermon on the Mount starts off with a seemingly upside-down approach to what effective faith looks like. It turns out that the people that are able to identify with these Beatitudes are the ones that the gospel message is, is designed to give hope to. Need a little hope? Good. It means that you can see your own weakness and infirmities, and it's encouraging you to seek out God. You don't need hope if everything's peachy. When the bank account is full and your health is great, you don't need to reach out to anyone for help. It's not that God isn't responsible for things when there seems to be plenty. It's that it's harder to see that he's responsible when there is plenty. Blessed are those that mourn. Oh. When we are mourning the loss of a loved one, our perspective shifts. I spoke to my aunt on the phone, and she said this, I got to know Jesus differently after my husband died, my uncle, and left me with five children, three still at home. There was no one else for me to turn to. She, she says, she had to seek out help from Jesus because she didn't have any other option. She watched as God brought new people into her life to supply her with the support she needed. Checks would come in the mail just in time to pay for things. The source of the funds had not changed, but now she knew it was from God. She goes on and she continues to tell me, she says, in the beginning, it felt like God was punishing me. I couldn't understand why. I did all the right things. Why was this happening to me? She served in her church. She raised her children to know Jesus. She paid her tithes. She did all the right things. She doesn't understand. Why is this happening? You see, wisdom works by building itself up. Can I say that? Yeah, I'm going to say that. I just said that. Okay. Wisdom in the Bible works uh, by building itself up. When you look at Proverbs, the world works the way that my aunt expected it to. You do a good thing, you get a good thing. You do a bad thing, you get a, you get a bad thing, right? You get blessings for good things, you get curses for bad things. Does this make sense? And, and there is some wisdom in that, is there not? When you go out and you do a whole bunch of harmful things, you should probably expect some harm to come back around to you. Am I wrong? There's some wisdom in that, but does the world always work this way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You move yourself onto Ecclesiastes and you start to notice, mm, mm, mm. sometimes bad stuff happens to the good people. And sometimes good stuff happens to the bad. This doesn't make sense at all. And so then you progress and, and, and the Bible goes on a, a, a third time uh, and builds on top of the wisdom found in Ecclesiastes and you move on to Job. 
I love Job, love the story of Job. It's a fantastic story, filled with all sorts of amazing things. The story is incredible. We get a behind-the-scenes view of what's going on, right? In the beginning of the story of Job, there's this weird scene happening in heaven where these different uh, uh, representatives from different worlds are coming to represent all these different people, and Satan shows up trying to represent earth, and uh, and God asks Satan, hey, what, what, what are you... Who, why are you here? And he's like, oh, I represent earth. And God says, oh, really? Have you considered my servant Job? Really? You, you're telling me you represent earth? It can't possibly be so because I still have a servant on that planet. And he says, ah, oh, Job doesn't really serve you. He's only serving you because you give him good things. You take away the good things, God, and he won't serve you anymore you get a behind-the-scenes view of what's going on, but Job never gets this. He never gets to see the perspective that we have. The only answer he gets is the one that comes towards the end when he is so frustrated with God and he wants to understand why all these bad things have happened to him in his life, and God simply shows him this fantastic view of all of creation, and he shows him how how, uh, and God shows Job how he's, he's uh, aware of how all the small little parts of nature and the, the big parts, of, uh, everything from, from, from climate to cells, and by, he's, he sees it all and he's in charge of it all and he gets it all and you don't even understand the things I'm showing you, Job. And then sends him back home and says, is essentially leaving Job with the impression that God sees a perspective that I don't and understands a view that I can never understand. I watched as this wisdom that Job had grew in my aunt. And eventually, she tells the story about how she was able to act with her faith in a way that she had never seen it be, be done before. She shows up to Swau. Any Southwestern students here? Mm-hmm shows up with her daughter and no money, sits herself down in the Finley building and expects a miracle to come her way. This is not something she would have done before. And I can tell you now that my cousin has graduated and it's almost trite to say that she finished her four years and got her degree because it bypasses all the pain and strife that went that she suffered every semester and some of you know that 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 pain you're feeling it right now over and over again the process is never easy but it's always rewarding i'm sure the commentators are right when they tell us that that jesus is really speaking about the mourning of the sin and its effects in our lives, but I can't help but ponder on 2 Corinthians 7 when Paul speaks of a mourning that produces a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and salvation. You see, those who mourn can know something special of God, the fellowship of his sufferings, a closeness to the man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief. That hope that we have in mourning is that it helps us to know Jesus better. It gives us a taste, a glimpse of the life that he lived for us. So this evening, whether you fall into one camp 
and find need within the privacy of your own mind. Perhaps you feel the calling of the Holy Spirit to repent and mourn what sin has done in your life. That could be one group of people that are here tonight, but if you are in the other group, if you are here tonight because you are in the midst of mourning, I want to tell you this. Perhaps the reason you are here tonight, perhaps this is the reason why Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. You have come to the right place. You have found, if you want it, a community. You are not alone. Grace and peace to you all.